When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be confusing. Like, Swedish techno confusing. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Dance with me, purple cow. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Ooh, you lovely cow. Geico makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to Geico.com and you can save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike, you know. Dance with me, purple cow. I like your move. Welcome to CrimeWire, a program dedicated to bringing attention to unsolved crimes and educating the public about various types of crimes and how to avoid becoming a victim. If you'd like to submit a case to CrimeWire or suggest a topic for a future show, please email us at thenewcrimewire at gmail.com. My name is Denny Griffin, and on today's show, my co-host Delilah Jones and I will discuss human trafficking with Dottie Laster. Dottie is the executive director of the Heidi Search Center in San Antonio, Texas. She has spent the last 13 years in the effort of the anti-human trafficking movement nationally and in her home state of Texas. Along with her position at Heidi Search Center, Laster is the anti-trafficking coordinator with the Bernardo Kohler Center as an accredited representative recognized by the Bureau of Immigration Appeals to practice immigration law under BKC. Laster is featured in the documentary on sex trafficking in Latin bars and cantinas, the Cantonera, and her direct rescue work is the subject of the MSNBC documentary, Sex Slaves, Texas Rescue. She is the recipient of several human rights awards and has been featured in numerous publications, including recent issues of Texas Monthly, Town Hall, and more magazines, Sex Trafficking, Unlikely Angel and recipient of the Guardian Angel Award. Dottie, welcome to CrimeWire. Well, thanks for having me. And to begin, Dottie, why don't we start off with you telling our listeners about the Heidi Search Center, what they do, and what work you do for them. Well, the Heidi Search Center assists families who have loved ones who have gone missing. So after they've made a police report, then what? And so we're the then what? They come to us and, and we help uh, pull out information, um, help them with tips, help them with media, crisis management. When we find their loved one, we help uh, mediate getting whatever the, the problem may be resolved and uh, making sure this family can get back together as quick as possible. So these missing persons... <clears throat> I'm assuming they could be, uh, you know, runaway type situations. They could also be uh, maybe crimes involved, such as abductions or forced taking or kidnappings. And, and also probably in the same vein, human trafficking. Would I, would I be accurate? Correct. Uh, missing persons is the beginning symptom of many crimes on um, domestic violence, Trafficking, sex predators, preying on children, um, murder even, and um, 
So a lot of times I think it's really misunderstood how urgent and how much we need to support missing persons organizations. And the human trafficking aspect of it, could you get into that a little bit and tell us exactly what what your definition of human trafficking is and, and how it fits into the work you do at the search center? Yes. Well, the federal law um, to combat human trafficking was passed in 2000, and it states anyone held in service of another through force, fraud, or coercion for purposes of forced labor or commercial sex is a victim of human trafficking, and any minor engaged in commercial sex is automatically a victim, no force, fraud, or coercion needed. So any minor in stripping, pornography, or prostitution is a victim. No one had to trick them or force them. And any adult in those positions that was lured, groomed, seduced, pressured, threatened, all those uh, taking advantage of, you know, mental incapacity, all those are examples of coercion. So any any adult in forced labor or stripping pornography or prostitution through coercion or force. Well, Donnie, you said, when, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm Danny. Sorry. I just have a quick question. It, sure. You know, we see so many takedowns of, of child pornography on digital or pictures and film and things like that. Does that automatically fall in under the definition as well? It doesn't necessarily have to be in person? That is correct. Uh, those images, um, some that child in the images, if it's anything pornographic, that child's automatically a victim. And everyone related to that image is responsible the same, whether it's the viewer or the person that forced the child in that situation or the person, you know, possibly having sex with that child in that image. They're all responsible the same. Daddies, uh, are these all federal laws or you have federal and state, are there some state laws also or are the feds the primary uh, enforcement? Well, luckily we have um, federal laws and I believe now all the states have a state law. There was a period where we didn't have Necessarily, every state had a state law, but that's been uh, that's been corrected now. I was so fortunate in 2005 and six. I worked with Senator John Cornyn, and he made a tour through the United States, launching um, model laws for states and helping encourage them to pass the laws. And so I helped him in Houston and San Antonio, and I'm so proud of Texas. We were the second state to have a law passed, Florida being the first. And uh, soon after that, all the other states got in line pretty quickly. Um, I was just just thinking about a scenario. I want to run it by you and see if it makes any sense. Um, we, we, or not we, but you uh, in the center could have a, a case of a, let's say a 15-year-old girl who voluntarily runs away from home. So we're starting out you'd be starting out with a missing persons case. Uh, but to begin with, it's voluntary. Maybe she ends up on the streets of some city and, and pretty soon runs into traffickers or predators. Uh, so, and, and, and becomes a victim of a human trafficker. So what started out as a voluntary non-criminal act uh, after a week or so of this, this, our uh, 
fictitious girl being on the streets, it could then turn into a criminal act. Am I correct in that? Well, that's correct. What I'm seeing most often, though, is the kids are being lured, and so it appears they're they're going out willingly on their own, but that's not the case what I'm finding. I'm finding that someone has been around them before they go missing and has taken days, months, even years to manipulate them in order to get them to walk out of the house. So the idea of that kind of willing runaway, I don't see that so much anymore. I see that there's someone there tricking and maneuvering and lure them out of the house. Does, does social media contribute a lot to that? Social media is this unmet nightmare that I don't believe society, <laughs> parents, police, or anyone has a handle on. My kids are knocking on the door of 30. They're 20, 28, and 32. And I didn't have to worry about anything other than what they could see, you know, just a one-way you know, entry into our home from the internet. I just had to worry about content. What I'm seeing now is all these interactive applications. It's the first time we've dealt with such things. And they're being used in many ways, some good, um, a lot really bad. And kids are being targeted through online video games, anything interactive, whether it's Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, Kit. So that they are going to be targeted. It's not if. They are targeted constantly. And whoever they're talking to on the other line can show up at your front door in a moment's notice. And that's what I see happening. They're getting tricked and lured out of their houses. And they could be anywhere in the world within a matter of moments. And I don't think parents understand what happens when their kid gets online. So the... Uh, when I was young, um, you know, again, uh, I don't want to date myself, but I guess I'll have to. That was well before <laughs> the Internet. We, we barely had TV. <laughs> but uh, I remember uh, me, too. <laughs> my mother's biggest concern and my father was, uh, you know, if I was out in the neighborhood somewhere, uh, you know, make sure I was home before dark and uh, and that type of thing, that I wasn't doing anything wrong. Uh, so now when you got a, a child who is up in their or in their bedroom for hours at a time and isn't even going out, that doesn't mean everything is harmless. If they got a computer in that room, uh, who knows, you know, who they're communicating with or what sites they're visiting. I mean, the, the parent really has to keep tabs on that to make sure they're not being led astray, like you say, being lured out or uh, getting into, you know, porn sites or that type of thing. Yeah, and it's it's really difficult. It's the saddest thing I see almost on a, a daily and weekly basis is a parent will come in and say, my child's missing. I saw something inappropriate on their phone, so I deleted it. And they might even say, I took the phone away. And I just, my heart sinks because that was the first sign of something that needed to be stopped. And that also what they deleted is the information I need to find the kid. And so they come in with that gone. And with these indicators that they didn't know were red flags, and it's so far down the the pipe at that point, you know, we're so far away from being able to stop it that I already know something bad's happening to their kid. And uh, so we came up with a tool called the Digital DNA Kit. And it's just a pen and paper form 
that you can fill out and keep up with your kids' online profiles, their online names, any phone that they're texting from, the phone number, um, any usernames, any applications. They need all that information because that is the key to finding them. And I find that it educates the parents just by having the exercise of looking at all these applications and understanding how they can be used to hurt their child. Did you ever have parents when after the child has gone missing and then when you're when you're interviewing or speaking with them <clears throat> excuse me, where they uh, are kind of stunned about what might have been going on with the child that they weren't aware of? Oh, it's just heartbreaking. Um, I've worked in missing persons for a little over a year now, and uh, Delilah kept telling me you need to be in missing persons, and I didn't get it until now. Now I get it. It is the beginning of of all of this. I'm 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 used to get into the cases after someone realized they had a child traffic. Now I'm up in the beginning, watching as they're realizing what's happened. And let me tell you, the fathers and the grandfathers, they break my heart in a way I can't describe. As they're sitting there seeing images of their little angel, the girl that they were put on this earth to protect and love in these sexually horrible photographs, videos, text messages, um, they break in such a way that it just, it words don't do it justice. And, um, to have a father see his beloved little girl in that situation hits him as a man, hits him as a parent aching for his child, and 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 takes away everything that that he thought he'd been, and it, it's just torture. It's absolute hell on earth to watch it. Oh, this is tough business, isn't it? I mean, it. Uh... You know, and I, I guess unless you've been a victim or, you know, had a child become a victim, it, it, it probably isn't the type of thing that most people think about on a, a daily basis. Uh, it, it, it takes something, I guess, sometimes bad to really bring the focus on it. And by then it might be too late. That's true. And, uh, you know, we do our best to get the word out. We appreciate shows like yours to open uh open the door for people to understand. And I think the the thing I hear most often is I never dreamed it would happen to me. I never thought I would be in this position. I know when I hand the parents the flyers, we make a flyer um, that we give them as many flyers and stuff as they need when a child is missing. And that's usually when, when they all come apart and they realize how real this just got. And um, you know, that's, that's a sad moment as well. And, you hand them the flyer that says missing and has a child's picture underneath it. And, it, you know, I've, I've held a lot of sobbing parents. And I know when I hear these real guttural cries, it's that they just realize the world that they lived in, the, the peace they had just known is gone forever. They know it's not going to be the same again, even when we get their child back. And um, people need to know these nonprofit agencies that do this work, we're needed. We've got to be there. We're never funded. We're, we're, we seem to be overlooked at every possible point as being important. But we are the gatekeepers to the most violent crimes on earth, to the solution, to the families that are going through it, to, to the hope of finding the victim. 
there is law enforcement. I'm not saying that they aren't out there too, but when you realize what it takes to find a victim and that most law enforcement agencies don't even put police on missing persons, they put civilians, not that civilians aren't great, but it just shows you the level of importance. If you or your child goes missing, the parents are it. If they don't continue to press, if they don't continue to look, that child could stay on that missing poster forever. Now, the missing persons, the overall missing persons, do you just handle Texas cases or do you take cases from all over or how does that work? We take cases from all over. Our office is in San Antonio, so the bulk of them come from San Antonio and the surrounding areas. But I have cases from all of the United States, and our cases don't stay wherever they start. So um, sometimes we inherit cases. I have an example recently of a um, young 15-year-old that had been groomed for two years that was taken from a 1,000 miles away and brought to our city. And I inherited the case when the father had figured out that she was in our city, but the police in our city couldn't or wouldn't couldn't alert the media. There was procedures and stuff, so the police actually referred me the case, and we got the we got pressure on that that um, location where we thought she might be, in, you know, the general area of San Antonio. We got the media involved. She had been gone a total of a hundred and eighteen days. We got the case on day 115, and we had her on 118. And uh, it just shows you the difference we can make. And uh, that little girl had been held by an adult predator. He had actually rented an apartment for her, and she had been inside that apartment at his disposal for 118 days. Oh. Um, did. Do you know off the top of your head about how many cases, referrals you get a year? We take, it looks like I'm on track for about 100 cases this year, although um, probably just as many, about another 100 I solved before I count them as a case. So perhaps I get in and figure it out before I make a flyer and a file and everything. And it just seems to be growing rapidly. I mean, there's some days I can't even, um, I mean, I might get seven in a day. And then some days we have a little dry period, like it lets me catch up, and then here we go again. Yeah. <laughs> like a radio. <laughs> <clears throat> now, you, your, your funding, you say, is uh, you're not funded through any government entity. You're, you're strictly private. Yeah, there's nothing. I've looked, searched, I've you know, worked with other agencies and a group we have throughout the nation. And missing persons is just not an area that money gets put to. They'll put it into databases, which, you know, those are helpful as well. But as far as the work that we do, it's, it's uh, I mean, it's very, very much of a black hole when you're looking for money. And it shouldn't be that way. I've I've worked on so many things um, as as uh, on human trafficking. I, I, I wrote $6.5 million in grants on human trafficking prior to coming to missing persons. And I am just stunned at the, uh, at the apathy our community has for these families and their, their victims and the importance. And I, I just, I don't think that's who we are. I, I think we need to change that. 
um, the families, when they have a missing loved one, they can't work, they can't eat, they can't sleep, they can't go to their medical appointments. Um, the erosion of this family, um, it just is destructive. And it is a pain that no one can survive. I mean, it, you can be as tough as you want to be, and it will bring you to your knees. It is worse than if you have someone die because there's no peace. There's no beginning. There's no healing. There's no trying to adjust to life without your loved one because you know every day that I'm not doing something, that I'm not out there looking. It might be that they need my help and I can't find them. It might be that I have a chance to save their life and I lose it because I ate lunch or my boss needed something. And the destruction to the family is probably even more at some point than it is to the victim. Um, before we before we move on, uh, Dottie, why don't we why don't you uh, give out some contact information if anybody's interested in uh, perhaps reporting a case to you or uh, maybe uh, making a donation or whatever? Uh, how would they how would they reach the uh, center? Yes, you can go online to our website at the Heidi Search Center dot org. That's T H E H E I D I Search Center dot O R G. We have a wonderful, beautiful website donated to us by Carnet um, Concept Incarnate, and I would love for you to. It's it's growing every day and getting better. But I'd love for our um, your listeners to visit our website. There they can get our digital DNA kit. Download it for free. Use it. If you have children or you know children between the ages of, say, 12 and 27, they need this. I've had many, many victims taken from college campuses, straight A's. Um, I had a mom call me from Harvard whose kid was trafficked. I had another kid in law school that was trafficked while she was in law school. And then, um, of course, high school and teenagers as well. So if you know any people in that group, you need to download that digital DNA kit and start getting into documenting their social media. It could save their lives. Well, I'd just like Um, to add something here real quick as well. This is an issue that, unfortunately, the general public doesn't pay a lot of attention to because it happens to other people. It doesn't happen to me. And this is where it is so, so very wrong. And I think we're finding as time goes forward that, you know, not only are kids who are marginalized caught up in this, but kids from stable backgrounds like Dottie was talking about with very stable, loving families have been caught up in, in this through social media and other channels. But I can't stress enough the importance of what a donation can do for saving one child. If we can save one kid from getting into this horrible, horrible, traumatic experience, then your money is so well spent. Um, you know, and it doesn't take all that much. It really doesn't. If you if you can give five, ten, fifteen, twenty dollars, that goes towards all kinds of different things that the agency needs, that the kid's going to need when when they are finally found. 
Um, and Dottie can go into, you know, what, what all of that entails. But I really, I'm, I'm out here begging people, send them money. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I should be Jerry Lewis's side. <clears throat> <laughs> it's very, very I so important. That. I so appreciate that because you're, you're right. It's it's such an investment, and I say they're harvesting our youth, and that's literally what's happening. Our youth is being harvested and destroyed for greed and sex. And Delilah's right again. There's so many people I've met in the last year that I met them, and then later they needed my help, and it breaks my heart to think that someone could have known me and still need my help. Because if you meet me for five minutes, you, you know pretty quickly what I do about the digital DNA and how to watch your kid online. But it is such a growing rampant crime that's a cancer on our our potential, our, our future, that um, literally we are there on the front lines fighting a war and I feel like I'm also on the front of the Titanic saying, watch out for the eyes. And everyone's going, no, I'm a good parent. It won't sink. And I'm like, <laughs> no. <laughs> and then they call me. And uh, pretty much, you know, they're either kids missing or luckily what I love is when they found the indicators prior to that. And if I can get in front of their kid, I can usually undo the, the tactics that the traffickers have done. And I've been doing a bit more of that lately, which makes me feel, feel very hopeful. Daddy, you said you get referrals really from all over, um, and I'm assuming you work frequently, uh, if not all the time, with police agencies. You have a lot of contact with various police agencies. What would you say the level of cooperation is, generally speaking, with the police? Are you are you appreciated, kind of taken for granted, or how how does that work out for you? <laughs> That's a funny question. <laughs> you would think in 13 years of doing what I do that I would have police lined up, um, and sadly that's not always the case. Um, I do have a few trusted individuals that have grown with me over the years, uh, some of them in intelligence, some of them in different federal agencies. I, send, I seem to have a little bit more trouble with attracting the local law enforcement. I think they're geared to do a different type of response you know, to, to respond quickly, solve whatever the problem is, and move on to the next call. And there are investigators within the police department, but they're overwhelmed and, and under understaffed, you know, that there's a small number of investigators compared to, to crimes that you see. So I do have a good relationship. I, I just need more. I could keep, I could be five to six <clears throat> officers, detectives of any kind, busy pretty much full-time if they – they just sat in my office, they'd be busy. Um, and so we don't have that level of response. I do have an amazing cooperation with the U.S. Marshals Service, and this is something that people may not know. In May of 2015, there was an executive order signed by President Obama that gave the U.S. Marshals the ability to um, pursue missing children the same as they do fugitives. And so if local law enforcement will ask for their help, they can do amazing, amazing work to find people that don't necessarily show up easily to be found. And I've worked several great cases with them that resulted in many arrests of people that were preying upon the children. And so the great information that I get 
and then paired with their skills has been a secret weapon. And I would urge anyone to uh, ask their local law enforcement for the U.S. Marshals to get involved if they uh, if they have a kid missing. It's 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 hard to get local law enforcement to do that, but once you do, the results are swift <laughs> and they're really forceful. And I have to laugh <laughs> in one particular case that I think of 12 marshals stormed a trailer house at 6 a.m. And you know they didn't go in gently because they have to make sure everyone's <laughs> safe. So they descend pretty pretty much <laughs> in a very uh, loud and, and scary way and dragged those adults out and handcuffs that had the kid and brought our kid back home safely. And uh, so that that's the kind of response we should have every time someone's child's missing. There is there is no child that should be less or more important than the other. We need to get them all home safely. Um would you be kind enough to um, to walk us through, you know, it doesn't have to be an actual case, but just a scenario um, of how how what you would do, what the center would do from from getting uh, the initial report about the missing person. And let's say this ends up to be a trafficking case, uh how you would go about your investigation and, and so forth uh, so we have a better understanding of exactly how this thing would work. Well, when we um, when someone's missing, the first thing I ask is if they saw the police report. And if they've had some trouble, sometimes police, depending on the situation, may not take that report right away. So uh, if, if they don't have that, I assist them in getting a police filed and help them to show and document why this person's missing, you'd be surprised that you don't always get one when you ask. And uh, so anyhow, that's the first step to get a police report filed. Then the second step is I have a pretty big fat intake form. I have them fill out asking them a large amount of information and especially where their loved one has been online, what usernames, what profiles, and the, the the response I usually get first is, oh, well, that's blocked. They're not on there now since they've been missing. I'm like, no, I need to know what happened before they left. Don't stop. So we pull out information that, you know, people might not have known is really important. And I really drill down and get all the information I can, not just from the family, that I get them to get friends on the phone, peers, siblings, frenemies, you know, whoever, <laughs> they can get me that username and that profile. Then I take that and I put it into a program that helps me bring out more profiles that they didn't know they had. And then from there, I combine that with public data and look at who they've been talking to and figure out who was grooming them, who was luring them, and drill down on who that might be, whether it's one, two, or three people. And then I start looking at where we need to focus the efforts. And from that, I'll start looking for criminal backgrounds. Um, I'll go down those people and look at their social media and see if there's reason to believe that they've posted something that rings the red belt, you know, the, the red flags. And so anyhow, we, we finally get, with all that information, into a strategy of where to look for them. And uh, from there, I start alerting news media and uh, develop flyers, and especially with a child, our flyer says if you're, you know, if you're caught harboring a minor, 
um, that that's a crime and that seems to get attention of people that would do such things. So we have kind of this little red warning at the bottom. And uh, so I combine efforts with media and the family to get the, the picture and the flyer and all the media possible. Social media, we target the victim social media as well as friends that have been around her. And uh, you'll, you'll, you'll be amazed at what that nets. It usually gets either the victim pops up somewhere or we get tips from people that have seen them online. And, and that's really valuable. I know one time I got a tip from North Carolina from a victim that was here in Texas. And the only way they knew each other was online. But that tip led me to who actually took the victim. Uh, I was just thinking as you were talking, <clears throat> excuse me, um, when the, when you get that initial contact from the family, it probably makes your uh, heart jump if they say, we just happen to have a digital DNA profile of the uh, <laughs> of, of the missing uh, <laughs> child. <clears throat> yeah, that, that, that hasn't happened yet because we just launched it last year, <laughs> but I'm waiting for that day. Um, but, you know, I think the tool is also kind of a, a preventative. So uh, I hope that maybe the ones that are out there are stopping them from going missing. And I think that's, so, a, that's something that is, again, so very important is to work work on the prevention side. So much of the time we react to the situation. We're very, very reactive in the way that we handle things, whether through the judicial system or law enforcement and just about anything, we're here to react to the problem rather than preventing it in the first place. And I got to say, I, I know Dottie for many years now we've worked together and if there's one person who knows how to prevent this, that she is it. And, and she's available to come to your school, to come to your church, to come to any organization or law enforcement agency and teach you how to prevent this in your own home and she can also teach law enforcement that you know she's been doing that for several years as well um on how to prevent it in the communities what to look for and how to handle it so that we got we've got our finger in the hole that it's still just spewing out all over us (laughs) that's a good good description (laughs) um and yeah that's a great segue into uh, I'm so excited to announce that we've uh, developed a school called the Texas Institute of Investigation and we are training investigators how to investigate this crime from private investigators to federal agents to whoever I've, I've had calls from nurses IRS agents child protective services and I believe that this is going to be an actual solution that can change the game a bit and I'm looking forward to it. Our our registration began this week and our first class is October 19th and I would urge anyone that wants to really get educated on how to be an effective investigator surrounding human trafficking and missing persons uh, to check out our school. And you'll be running more sessions? Yes, uh, October 19th is our inaugural class, our first class. I'm so excited. It's going to be held in the county commissioner's courtroom, and the county commissioner and other dignitaries are going to launch our school with a press conference. So that's a very special day that we're planning right now. And then after that, that's the kind of intro first course. We will have advanced courses that rotate on a schedule 
about every six weeks. So we'll have um, how to write a report, how to be an expert witness, a class on this digital DNA kit I'm talking about, classes on forensics, as well as uh, how we're using social media to find victims, and uh, um, class on government agencies and how to work with them and what they do, what they don't do. I think it's important to understand that when you get into these complex cases. So we have a lot of great, exciting courses coming up. And, of course, human trafficking, sex trafficking, labor trafficking. I'll have classes on all of those as well. My partner is an expert in forensics, and he'll be doing the forensic side. Um, dealing with the police, uh, or, or I shouldn't say not dealing with the police, but not being uh, a sworn law enforcement officer, do you find that hinders or helps when you're contacting potential witnesses, you know, like you say, classmates and so forth of the missing person? Do they tend to be more open to talking to you or your people because you're not a cop, or do you think some of them would prefer to deal with law enforcement? Yeah, I believe that um, we put both numbers on everything we do, but I believe we get a lot of information that would not have come forward because we are not police. We're, we're low-key. We're, we're safe to contact. We're, um, we don't have to worry about um, some of the things the police worry about. We're not, you know, I, I pass all the information forward I get, but I'm not there to prosecute somebody. I'm there to find somebody. And that gives me a lot wider room to operate where police are involved to seek a prosecution. And so they have a very, very finite, limited scope in which they can work. And so we have a lot more flexibility. And uh, I'm also a private investigator. And uh, so, you know, I'm trained and efficient on keeping the evidence um, good and the witnesses available. But I don't often wear that hat. What I wear is the hat of how can I help this family. And that, that gives me a lot of open opportunity for people to trust me. And I'm assuming uh, that on occasion you might run into a, uh, a situation maybe in, involves an illegal or an undocumented uh, person or family. Uh, certainly they would be more apt to share information with you than they would with a police agency, perhaps. Well, and I have this other beautiful secret weapon. I'm able to practice immigration law. And so I can actually become the legal representative for a family in such a situation. I limit the scope of my practice to victims of trafficking or violent crimes. But a lot of times that is why I'm meeting them. And that is why they're being preyed upon. So then I, I'm the same as their, I'm, I'm, the, I'm their legal counsel, so everything they tell me becomes um, protected. And so that gives them a safety measure as well. And um, certainly on the trafficking victims, that becomes one of my best uh, tools to use to help them if they are immigrants. I can actually get them their T visa. Uh, I can uh, represent them in immigration court. And um, then that knowledge I have is to say that maybe they've come up upon me because they're in criminal court. A lot of victims are actually arrested due to the trafficking. If it's not immigration court, then I'll flip my hat over and be an expert witness. (laughs) And I've had a lot of effect um, with freeing victims from the court system 
by being an expert witness, both U.S. citizen and immigrant. Uh, when you said you have another uh, amazing secret weapon, I can really see how that would, uh, you know, having that other hat to put on would be very beneficial to you and to the families. It is, and that's one thing bad guys often don't count on. They don't count on someone that could actually have the knowledge and skill and credentials to give their victim a voice. They uh, they count on lies, deception, and and um, usually the bad guys are manipulating the system, police, prosecution. They've already got that figured out, and that's why it's so important we help parents. It's almost like there's a script everybody's written, and, and you don't know you're on script, but you are. So you know if your kid's being lured and tricked by this guy, and, and he pretends to be a boyfriend, but you know he's not, and he's going to prosecute your child, but but you can't get anyone to listen to you, it's because everyone's on script. Well, she ran away willingly. There's nothing we can do, you know, and the mom tries everything she can. Well, the bad guy knows that's, you know, exactly. They've already planned for that. You're going to report her missing. You're going to go to police. I'm going to let her call you. She's going to say I'm okay, and everyone goes away, and now I've got her, and there's nothing you can do. Well, that's how we flip the script. (laughs) That call doesn't work for me. I know what's going on. The characters are always the same. You've got the peer recruiter. You've got the lure, the the bait, you know, the Romeo pimp or or the feigned boyfriend or the fake job. That's the lure. Then you have the controller and the minders that start to work on their mind, that start to be nice to them, but then also threaten them a little. They get all the information about their life and who's important to them and then go, well, if you don't do what I say, this is what's going to happen to your mom. And they show her a picture of something. And so those are the, the controllers, the minders. And so you can see how it keeps going in this game. It's literally a game. And I know the rules. I know the players. You just change the names, change the date. And that's how I can change the script. Uh, Dottie, after a victim has been recovered, um uh, what happens then? I, I'm thinking that depending on what they've been through, uh, they might need some type of uh, a follow-up service and maybe some uh, counseling of some kind. Are there programs available for that, and are they properly funded? <laughs> no, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's so amazing that the bad guys have $32 billion a year and I've got like two quarters drove together. I mean, it's just nuts. I can't believe our society does not care about our future. And that's what it feels like. I don't think it's true. I think we need to wake them up. Um, but yes, one thing I, I found over this last year is that I need to get in front of that victim within the first like hours that they're rescued. And I've been really good at undoing the manipulation because what's so horrible is they will get located or rescued or or brought home and then they'll disappear again. And then police and everyone will think, well, she ran away again. She's a problem child. That is not what's happening. They are being taken or they're being threatened. You show up here now or your little sister will just get her. And so if I can get to them right away, and undo that coercion and that manipulation and and give them a plan of what to do when they're contacted again, because they will be. Even if they're safe, offline, these guys have already set up a way that they're going to reach out again. And when I can deal with that, 
and I can get uh, the family and the kid on the same page, then I can disrupt the cycle and often catch the bad guy. Dottie, we're starting to get close to running out of uh, time here. I, I want to make sure we get your website in one more time uh, uh, before the end of the show. Would you mind giving that to us again, please? Yes, it's the Heidi Search Center dot org. That's T H E H E I D I Search Center dot O R G. We're also on Facebook and on Twitter. And I just also want to bring attention again to our private investigator school. I team up with a great company, Gillespie Security and Investigation. Mark Gillespie, wonderful expert in forensics. Myself with the Heidi Search Center, and we're going to have some amazing courses. I think our school is going to take a life in ways that no one ever knew, and uh, I really appreciate that. We've also developed a mentor program called I Am Heidi. So hashtag I Am Heidi. Search that. We're going to have some great events where we pair the victims and the, the, you know, the kids that have maybe been touched by this with some of the most amazing women in our city. And we're showing, we're not just saying don't do this. We're showing a different route and connecting them with a path where they don't get lured ever again, where they become strong. And that's our motto. I am strong. Oh, well, that's, it's certainly good to know there are you and perhaps some others like you and your organization out there because it's, uh, like you said, uh, got to be just some heartbreaking uh, things that, that you hear about and who knows how many you don't hear about, you know, that are uh, keep keep out of the media or never reported and so forth for whatever reason. So it's really uh, um, a situation that needs attention paid to it. Uh, Delilah, do you have anything uh, else before we close out? Oh, yeah. You know, I could go on for a lot longer on this subject. Uh, I just want, you know, everybody out there who's listening to this podcast to know that, you know, there are rare people in this world who fight the good fight for those of us who don't know what we're doing. And, you know, Denny, your former co-host friend, mentor, whatever, Susan Murphy Milano was one of those people. Dottie is one of those people. Monica Kaysen is one of those people who who take it out of their own pocket to make sure that, that someone out there is free from the slavery, from the violence, from, you know, from the agony of what this world has put on them. And, you know, I I just can't put them on a high enough pedestal. I wish that people out there would recognize the work that these women have done and continue to do for no pay. Uh, I mean, and and that's not by choice. Let me make that very clear. That is not by (laughs) choice. It's just the way it is, and it shouldn't be that way. You know, we, we should be paying all of these women as much as a, a pro athlete or more um, because that's the value that they bring to our world. And, you know, if, you know, we don't have Susan any longer, but we still have Dottie, we still have Monica and the, they do this day in, day out, day in, day out. They deserve so much from us. Go deep in your pockets and send a donation 
um, keep it going. Keep this mission going. Keep Dottie going. Keep everything going because someday we're going to find the solution. Well, thank you, and I feel like we're close. Um, If we wanted this to stop, it would halt in an instant. And uh, I just listened to an astronaut speak who stayed in space the longest of any man possible, and that's what he said. He said, when I was up in space looking down from the International Space Station, I realized anything that's important to us can be accomplished. And um, if anyone would like me to speak at their group, to help make your community safer from this, you can reach out to me at DottieLaster.com. And Delilah made a wonderful website for me there. And uh, D-O-T-T-I-E-L-A-S-T-E-R.com. And let's make this like that International Space Station. I mean, that's a miracle. And this could be stopped and our future insured. Well, okay, that sounds like a good a good point to stop on and let people reflect on what's uh, what's been said here. Uh, Dottie, uh, thank you so much for being with us today. Just uh, incredible work you do, and uh, and the best of luck with your with your training uh, session, your school that's coming up, and and future efforts, and of course with your work um, for the missing persons and uh, the trafficking victims. Thank you very much. And thank you to our listeners for being with us. And until next time, stay safe, and we'll see you again on CrimeWire. don't go to geico.com car insurance can be confusing like swedish techno confusing bark bark meow meow dance with me purple cow bark bark meow meow Ooh, you lovely cow geico makes it easy with 24 7 access all you have to do is go to geico.com and you could save money on car insurance it just makes sense unlike you know dance with me purple cow i like your mood When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be confusing. Like, Swedish techno confusing. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Dance with me, purple cow. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Ooh, you lovely cow. Geico makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to Geico.com and you could save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike, you know. Dance with me, purple cow. I like your mood.